welcome to uh, the conclusion of our series, Rest. We're wrapping it up today. Uh, If you have missed any of it, no worries. We're glad that you're here this morning. Next week, we're actually going to be starting a new series about what happy couples know. Um, But today, we're in rest. And if you've missed any of it, no worries. You can follow up uh, on the last three messages on our website. Or if you download our Infused Church app uh, while you're checking out how much you spend on your phone every week and trying to determine if that's actually true. And yes, it's true. That's the reason I wanted you to look it up. You do spend that much time on your phone uh, each week. Um, But you can download our app and watch all the previous week's messages. You can watch kids' messages. Uh, We have events on there. You can give through there. There's so many resources. So really encourage you to download that app if you haven't already. Now today, we're going to kick off the conclusion of the series in kind of an unexpected way, an unexpected place. Um, It's probably a place that when I read this to you, you're going to be kind of left scratching your head in, how does this have a lot to do with rest? How does this connect, Taylor, to rest? And so if that's you, stick with me, because I think by the end, it will uh, give you an unexpected contrast to maybe how we see the world and how we live our lives compared to this little thing I'm going to read to you, and give us an idea of how to move forward and help us essentially to rest better and where rest really comes from and give us some next steps practically in our faith walk all at the same time. And so that's, that's where we're going to start today. Uh, so today I'm going to start reading um, actually a full chapter from the Bible, pretty big day today. And uh, I'm going to read a, a chapter from the Bible that is considered one of the most comforting chapters in all the Bible. Often uh, it's spoken at funerals, uh, in times of pain or uncertainty to give comfort to people. Okay, And, and the passage that I'm going to read to you today uh, comes from uh, the book of Psalms. Um, specifically, we're going to be reading Psalms 23. If you grew up in church, um, you, you at least heard it once or tr- twice, more than likely. Um, you, you may know it actually fairly well. Um, and if you know it fairly well, you may be wondering, yeah, Taylor, how does this exactly connect to rest? I'm glad you asked. We'll get there. But before we do, Psalms, real quick backstory. Psalms is, uh, we call it a book, but it's not really a book. It's more of a collection of songs and poetry um, that were written by many different authors, some known, some unknown, over a span of hundreds of years. And it's just put together together in a collection and that we know it as the book of Psalms. Now, the Psalm specifically we're reading today, Psalms 23, was written by uh, a man named David. In fact, he wrote a number of the Psalms. Uh, You know David maybe uh, more so uh, because of a fight he had with a man named Goliath. Um, and so we were named for, known for the battle between David and Goliath. Uh, eventually, he becomes king of Israel in about 1,000 BC, so 3,000 years ago. And he actually turns out to be one of the greatest kings Israel ever knows. And, uh, and so in Psalms 23, David writes, and specifically, he writes um, using a bit of imagery. Um, and it's imagery that he's familiar with, not that we're terribly familiar with it, but I'll give us some context as we get into there. But it's as a boy, he was a shepherd. Um, You may have remembered, uh, you know, he uh, had a slingshot and he was able to um, uh, kill Goliath because of how he knew to take care of his sheep, essentially, protect his sheep from wild animals and stuff. Anyways, and so he would, as a shepherd, often spend um, days, weeks, months, maybe even with his herd, 
out in the wilderness of even modern day Israel, trying to make sure that they, he continued to find them food and water to keep them uh, and keeping them safe. And so he is essentially thinking back to those days of his life, his role as a shepherd. And then he's talking about his relationship with God using this imagery. And in this uh, Psalm, Psalm 23, he is actually the sheep in the story. And kind of in a way, he's inviting all of us to see ourselves in the story as the sheep and God as the shepherd, the one who's trying to take care of us out in the middle of the wilderness. So he or we are the sheep and God is the shepherd. Okay. So as I read this, I would like you to think about just the theme of rest. And, and if you've been with us throughout this entire series, thinking about the, some of the things that we talked about so far in this series of where does our worth come from and how does our worth tie into an ability to be at peace, to have rest and how we talked about from the beginning, we were created for rest and we were created to be with God and, and, and experience God's peace, God's shalom. Okay. So if you remember all that, bring that to the forefront of your mind as I read this. Okay. And so if you're still, um, with us, um, I'm going to read it now. And, and so if, if you're doing dishes or laundry, now's the time to just pause because I know some of you do laundry. In fact, I've gotten a number of emails from those of you doing laundry while you watch me. Um, I'm glad it's productive, but for the moment, just let's listen to Psalms 23. Okay, here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I want for nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley or the, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Sounds kind of fantastic, doesn't it? I mean, even if you're not a Christian or don't really believe in the whole Jesus thing, any of that, you know, that still sounds, I would think, pretty good. I mean, still waters, green pastures. Wanting for nothing, restoring my soul, no fear, my cup overflows, goodness and mercy for all the days of my life. I mean, that's heavenly. It's heavenly, isn't it? I mean, imagine what a place like that would even look like. I don't know about you, but as I imagine it, I kind of want that to be in my backyard. Like, that would be so nice. Like, in the middle of times of stress and anxiety in my own life or maybe your life, you know, maybe you got a crazy schedule going on, um, you're feeling overwhelmed, you got financial pressures going on to deal with, okay? And, and in the middle of that, you get to stop and go to this amazing, quiet, peaceful place where you don't fear. Wouldn't that be amazing? In the midst of your kid's really taxing you <laughs> or coming up, you actually having to pay your taxes, you know, in the middle of that, you can just stop, pause QuickBooks and you can go out or not QuickBooks, TurboTax or H&R Block, whatever. You could go out into this perfect 
peaceful place. Green pastures, still waters. I mean, sign me up, you know? That'd be beautiful. Now, I've talked about Psalm 23 before, and if you were there for that one particular Sunday where we talked about it, you, you kind of know that there's a catch coming. Or if you know much about um, uh, modern day or even 3,000 years ago, old, uh, years ago, uh, Israel, there's a catch. And we miss it because we don't live there, okay? But, but the land that David is picturing, the, the image of this perfect place and this perfect um, environment is opposite, completely almost opposite of what it actually looks like. Because what it actually looks like, where David actually was a shepherd and lived out these days of being a shepherd, there was barely anything green. There was very little water. And probably a lot of his days, he was lacking something. In some cases, maybe lacking everything. Here is a picture that I took in modern day Israel of where shepherds herd their sheep. I kind of actually love this because it's a polar opposite of what you would expect. It's a polar opposite of what David just described in Psalm 23. And this is, by the way, really green for this time of year in Israel. Like this is the greenest it gets. And you can raise sheep and goats out here. It's hard. It's dangerous. But if you look closely, maybe uh, the production team will zoom this in, make it full screen for you if it's not already. Right in the very middle, you can barely see a little human being walking there. And there's little um, black dots that don't quite look like the bushes you see all around it. Those are the sheep. Because I intentionally took a picture because that is a shepherd out there caring for, feeding his flock. How would you like that to be your day job? trying to get your sheep everything they need, including yourself, every single day out in the middle of nowhere. So how, David, are you saying in Psalms 23 that this is a shepherding experience? This is how you have experienced God. Why are you using this imagery to describe God? Why is reality so different? This is where I want you to really focus in here. Because David had learned something that we often miss. And instead of telling you about it, I I just want to honestly, I just want to show you what we miss. Because I think as you look at this, you'll get this, okay? Here's Iowa pastures. Let's back up one slide. David's pastures. Let's go forward. Iowa pastures. And then David's pastures. You notice a difference? Let's skip ahead a couple of things. This is um, what a home in modern day, or not, excuse me, in uh, David's time, Israel would have maybe looked like. This is actually probably one of the nicer homes, okay? Would you want to live here? There's not much point to vacuuming here. But this is, how they would live. Now, here's a home I pulled up on Zillow, still on the market if you're looking, in uh, the city of, of Tiffin, Iowa. Do you, do you notice a difference? 
Even the staged furnishings in this home are beyond what David had when he became king. We live today so much grander lives than they lived 3,000 years ago. And yet David says, I'm good. We have so much more. We have phones, we have TVs, we have AC, we have modern medicine, we have cars, we have running water. I mean, you get where I'm going with this, right? Yet we sit there and we say, oh, yeah, I'm so tired. It's not enough. I need to get this and I need to go here and I got to go shopping. I got I to gotta do this. Oh, I got to buy that. I'm dreaming of that. David gets what we so often miss. My friends, David has nothing, yet he says he has everything. And we have everything, yet we say we're wanting. Okay, put this up on the screen. David has nothing, yet says he has everything. In the real world of shepherding, he had nothing, yet he said, I'm good. Green pastures, flowing water, I'm good. Still water, excuse me. And we, you and I, have everything yet feel wanting. We don't have enough. We want more. It's not satisfying enough. David's cup, on, uh, uh, on the other hand, his cup is overflowing. Why isn't what we have enough? Because we can go to a faucet and literally overfill our cup. David can't do that. He has to go take his clay jar and go down to the well and pour in some water or whatever and bring it back. And then he can pour it in his cup and heaven forbid he overflow it because then it's spilling and he's got to go back into the little well and get more. Why isn't it enough for us? I mean, this past week, this past week, would you say the week went by and, and you felt restored? You felt like, you know, your cup was overflowing, like your life, your heart, it was overflowing. Did you, did you feel anointed like David did? This week, when everyone else was stressed out, were, were you good? Were you walking beside still waters? Probably not, right? Here's the point. It's difficult, my friends. It is so difficult to find rest, it's so difficult to find peace while wanting more. I mean, parents, think about this. When your kids come to you and they say the words, I want, is that environment, would you describe that environment as generally peaceful? Do they come to you with a want and it's just like, wow, thank you for being so polite. This was a very peaceful and restful engagement, my son or daughter? No, of course not. It's, I want, and there's tears, and there's screaming, and maybe they'll eventually fall on the floor. I don't know. Sometimes mine do. Maybe yours are better. That's fine. Um, while wanting more, it is difficult to find peace and find rest. It's difficult. And you sit there, and you think about uh, your child, or you think about other people in, the, in their lives, and you're like, well, why, why can't you be content with what you have? Why, why can't you find peace? We can't, though, can't we? We always feel like we need more. We deserve more. We deserve better. We deserve to be treated better by our friends and our coworkers. We want to be farther ahead in life. We want our boss to give 
us more freedom. We want our boss to give us more resources, both personally and on our teams, so that we can get what we want. We want more space. We want a bigger this. We want a bigger that. We want things, don't we? I mean, do you feel rested when you're scrolling through, you know, social media, Facebook, Instagram, or do you feel more stressed, maybe a bit more frustrated, a bit even ashamed sometimes, maybe a bit envious sometimes of what you see on social media because ultimately you want what other people have? Do you feel, do you feel peace when you want that deal to go through and, and it doesn't? When you want that raise and it, and it doesn't come to be? When, when you want a job, but it goes elsewhere? You know, you want an explanation from someone, but you get a cold shoulder? When those wants fall apart, are you at peace? When your future, your hopes, and your dreams don't come to fruition? When the car you dreamt of, the house you dreamt of, the upgrades you dreamt of, the relationship, the, the, rest, uh, the, the family that you dreamt of isn't coming to be that you want isn't happening, are you at peace? Do you rest easy? David, who has so little, even by 3,000-year-old standards, says, I shall not want. Could you imagine being able to go into to all those situations that I described that maybe really, you know, come right to mind of, you know, yeah, there are some serious things I want. I want that relationship to be different. I, I really want a new car. I want that, that better thing. I want that raise. I deserve that promotion. Could you imagine what life would be like if you took out that haunting want in your heart? Could you imagine how peaceful it would be to just flip that switch off? for even a few minutes a day to not feel that tug towards wanting the next thing. And I realize some of you are saying, well, but Taylor, I'm not being unreasonable, man. I, I want good things, okay? I want things, I don't, I don't deny it. I want things, okay, but I want good things, you know? I want to be healthier. I want reliable transportation. I want to be treated fairly. I want the right things, and I hear that. And I'm sure, I'm sure there were times when David wanted, very honestly, wanted good things like water in the desert. You know, I want, I'm sure he wanted good things. But here's what David got or eventually learned probably more likely and what we can get to that kind of changes everything. That your peace and my peace and your rest and my rest aren't dependent on your wants. I say that again. Your peace and your rest aren't dependent on your wants. You don't have to get what you want to be at peace. They're not dependent on one another. Whether you get all of what you want or none of what you want shouldn't affect, shouldn't impact the peace you have in your soul and the peace you have about your future and your eternity. This should give you this realization to realize they're not dependent 
They're interdependent. They're not dependent on each other. Should give you freedom. I think it should possibly give some of you some breakthrough in your life to realize that you don't have to have everything you want to be happy, to be at peace. And secondly, I think this right here can give you the freedom to connect with your father in heaven in ways you haven't yet before. And in so doing, give you peace that you haven't understood before, that you haven't experienced before. Because my friends, your wants, your wants will leave you, will steal your rest. Your wants will, will steal your rest. In fact, they're probably already stealing your rest. They've been stealing them for a long time. And now is the time to change. Now is the time to do something different. In my opinion, you have, give or take, two options. Okay? And you can do both. All right? But I want to give you two options. The first is one that everybody can do. Okay? Everybody can cut back your wants. Just cut them back. Okay? Practically speaking, what this could look like in a modern day world, in my opinion, is it means you have fewer devices. That screen time, spend a lot of time on the screen, fewer of them and more restrictions on them. Personally, okay, and, and my phone is a really big one for me. Um, I spend a lot of time on the phone, talking on the phone, looking at things on the phone, responding to emails, just trying to keep, honestly, in a lot of ways, uh, life and, our, and the church moving happens through my phone. And so I have built in limits, which you can do on your device as well, on social media. I only get 15 minutes a day on social media and uh, any news apps I have on my phone, okay? Because I realize anytime I get on to the news apps or, or to social media especially, I leave wanting something. I leave wanting more world peace, okay? I leave wanting to tell somebody how I feel, okay? I leave uh, more stressed out. I mean, even at, you know, uh, you know, 15 minutes a day on two different apps, I mean, that's, that's 30 minutes a day, okay? It adds up. It can add up to be hours every week that you put in uh, on social media, if you got 45 minutes a day, I mean, that's like, you know, five plus hours a week. So do you really want to be investing that? You want to really want to get to the end of your life and say, I really wish I could spend more time on social media. And then another setting that, that I have on my phone that may be worth considering for you is all, nearly all of my apps shut down. They get grayed out at about 730 at night. And I've realized that's really helped me because then there's no notifications that are showing up. I'm not getting any, you know, reason. I'm not intrigued to jump on something or answer an email or anything. It just shuts down completely. And that's really, at least it's really helped me. Really helped me. Um, in the last 40 years, we as a culture have lost 10 to 20 hours of family time a week. In the last 40 years, collectively, on average, each family has lost 10 to 20 hours of family time a week. That's three hours a day. Some of that's, you know, sports and events and athletics, okay, and activities that you have to go to. All while, mind you, the size of families have shrunk. So we're 
spending less time as a family, even though our families aren't even, are, are even smaller. So we should technically have less to do, less reason for our families not to be together. And listen, I want well, well-rounded kids as much as the next person. But, but kids, unfortunately, are learning more from the schedule we're setting for them rather than the relationship we're having with them. Mind you, that relationship, especially parents have with their kids or family members have with the kids in their family. I'm talking extended family too. Those are the relationships that will shape them for their lives. Sports, athletics, and extracurriculars, they'll have impact. But if you want to dump, jump into why sometimes marriages fall apart, a lot of times it has to do with your family of origin. It has to do with those relationships. Those relationships are some of the most important relationships you have in your life. And yet sometimes we are getting, oftentimes these days, we're getting distracted by, well, I want my kid in this. I want my kid in this. I want my kids to be doing this. I need to be doing this. I got to go do this. And that relationship isn't forming in a real tangible and life-changing way. There is no one else in the world who can be a mother or father to your kids like your kids' mother and father. It is a unique job to you. So maybe we need to cut back our wants to make sure we're prioritizing the needs of those in our lives. Maybe you need to cut some things out. We all have maybe a little bit of a problem with wanting things, okay? Maybe you need to establish a rule in your life to donate anything that you haven't used or worn in a year, for example. And just donate it and see if you miss them. Chances are you probably won't miss too many of the things. You'll probably be able to get by without everything that you have. Maybe for some of you, you need to cut money because money really drives everything that you want. So you need to donate it. You need to serve others with it. Some of you, the reason you don't donate it is because you think it goes to wasteful endeavors. And so I would really encourage you um, to go and serve with others. Serve with those who are less fortunate. Learn their stories. Learn their situation. And then reflect on whether or not your money is, is really what you need or is just another want. I remembered we delivered mattresses. Stephanie and I delivered mattresses um, a few years ago. And one of them was to um, a, a mom in Iowa City. And uh, we, you know, got the mattresses up. It was on the second floor um, and brought them into uh, her apartment. And I was st stunned simply because there was literally no furniture uh, other than uh, the pack and play, which her baby slept in, and a little mattress in the corner of the room where uh, her uh, older child slept. And then you could see the blankets on the floor next to the pack and play, which I assumed is where she slept next to her infant baby. And we were bringing her a mattress. And, and I thought to myself, this is one of the wealthiest communities in the state of Iowa. Boy, is this not a perspective on wants, what we want versus what maybe other people need? And are our wants getting in the way of peace and rest 
so unnecessarily. These are just some simple steps. And others can help you along this journey if you want to maybe cut back your wants. Now, David gives us the second option, the second way to keep wants from stealing our peace and our rest. And to me, this is really the game-changing one. This is the option, I think, that can make the biggest difference, a lasting difference in your lives and the lives of people around you. Because David said, I shall not want. Why did he say that? He said, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I shall not want. David said, I'm going to put my life in God's hands. I'm going to write a blank check of my life to God and say, God, I'm a sheep and I want you to be in charge of my path. I want you to guide me. And life, my friends, you know this, life can feel like this. It can be intimidating. It can feel like you have so little. It can feel like you're wandering around in the middle of nowhere and it takes work. And the future is unknown. You don't know what's going to happen next, what's going to be over the next hill or the next season or what's happening, what's, what's in store for you. And you always feel like, especially out in a desert, time is running out. And it's so easy to want more when you're really in a place like this. And David said, I learned, I found peace when I put my life in God's hands. And I let him be my shepherd. Let him be my shepherd. And when I did, David would say, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He said, when I want greener pastures, which I'm assuming you probably in your life think that there's, you know, a greener pasture on the other side of the hill. You know how that saying goes. God made me stop and rest where I was. I wanted the greener grass on the other side. But God said, no, lie down where you are. Stop chasing after the wants of greener pastures. Stop and rest where you are. God answers he leads me besides quiet waters. God answers some of the burning needs and desires in my life. Because that's what water is. Without water, it becomes quickly the only thing you care about. When you are thirsty, when you are parched, it is the sole focus. It becomes a burning desire of your life. And so David's saying, hey, when it comes to the burning desires of your life, what is my purpose? How do I deal with my sin and my past? What, what is the eternity of my life? Is, is death really the end? When it comes to the burning desires of life, David says, I want you to know he'll bring you to still waters. And he'll restore your being. When was the last time you felt like in your soul you were restored? You were restored. You were, your soul was full. 
not worn down, not tired, not ready for something different. When I'm not sure where to go, David would say, when I feel lost, when I have a moral decision on my hands, when I got future determining choices at hand, which is so often the decisions we have in our life, David says, he leads me in right paths for his namesake. Look at David's story in the Bible. David would get off the path and he'd come back. And every time he came back, the best of things would happen. It was when he got off track that things went downhill. God leads me in right paths for his namesake. When I'm afraid, when I want answers to my fears, when I want safety for my family and loved ones and my future, when I'm faced with the unknown and I want direction, David says, even though I walked through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me because I know whatever comes at me, it's going to be okay. Because he's in charge. When I feel attacked and betrayed, overwhelmed, outnumbered, when I feel like there's no way out and I need a solution out, God, I want a solution out. What do I do? Help me. David says, when that's happened to me, God prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My enemies are sitting there watching and I'm just sitting there at this nice table, okay? And at the table, God anointed me on my head with oil and my cup is overflowing, He's saying, God wants you to know that you are the most important thing to him. And his love can so overwhelm you that it literally pours out of you. You feel so loved that you cannot help but love others. It overflows. Other people look at you and they say, wow, where's that coming from? Because you're so kind and you do things that just don't make sense. And that can only come from a cup that's overflowing because the Lord is my shepherd. There are all parts of light that we want answers to. We want out of. We want to overcome. And David's saying, I found that in him. I found that I don't have to want anymore because the Lord is my shepherd. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord, of the Lord my whole life long. He said to dwell To dwell. In Hebrew, it means shim bahavet. In other words, to return to. He says, I shall return to the house of the Lord because I was gone and now I'm coming home. And now for some of you watching this morning, it's time for you to come home. David said, home is when I'm not leading, God is. I've taken my ego out, my pride out, my wants out of it, and I'm home when God is my Lord and I serve him. I mean, think about this, Christian or not, the one place in the universe that I could think that you'd really find peace and rest and never have to fear enemies and never have wants at all is when you would be with the Lord. Too often, we're surrounded by comfort. We're surrounded by everything we really need. And yet we're driven for more. We somehow tell ourselves that, that we're running on empty. We have so little and therefore we need, we want 
more. And those wants drive us, but they keep us from who matters most. Those drives want us, and so we think they're a good thing, but ultimately they're keeping us from who matters most, our Father in heaven. And to those of you that say, well, my wants, my desires, they motivate me. They keep me going. Under David's reign, Israel was at its peak in history. This was the nation of Israel in the Middle East under David's reign. It really didn't get any bigger than that at any point in Israel's history. It was at the peak when David said, I want nothing, not because I have everything, but because the Lord is my shepherd. You can still accomplish great things and not tie your wants to your peace, your rest, and your Father in heaven. That's where peace comes from. You can cut back as much on your phone as you want to, and I think you should, but ultimately the peace is going to come from him. David went from being a desolate shepherd boy to king of the most powerful nation that Israel ever saw in its history. And he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How did David get there? Not because he followed his wants and the desires of his heart. He let God lead. He made God be his shepherd. He learned to want nothing because his peace and his rest and his comfort wasn't in the world. It was not from what was around him, but from God above him. And it wasn't easy. I mean, he sinned. He still missed the mark with God and others. Definitely. And it isn't easy for us either. But David learned. David pursued. David knew in his heart, put in his heart, in God's hands, wrote the blank check of his life to his Father in heaven and put his trust in him. And he learned and he shares with us that his cup overflows when God is the Lord of his life. If you would, bow your head and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the words of David, which have been written and preserved for 3,000 years so that today we could read what David learned. And that we could have a choice, because it is a choice. It's totally up to us of how we proceed forward. But today that we have a choice, you have given us the freedom of choice so that we can decide moving forward today, how can I cut my wants? How can I stop the wants from stealing rest? The rest that only comes through you. How can I stop the wants from keeping me from you? Keeping me from real peace, peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that doesn't make sense given what is happening in the world around us. That kind of peace. Lord, thank you that we have a choice and help us to make the right one. Help us to make the choice that says, Lord, you are my shepherd. I shall not want. You make me lay down in green pastures. You lead me by 
still waters. You restore my soul. And even though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I shall fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And even in the presence of my enemies, even in the moments when I feel overwhelmed and overcome and I feel pressured from those around me, I feel the hurt and pain of those around me directed towards me, whatever it is, you have made a table for me. And on that table, you anoint me so that I know that you think of me as your most valuable, loved child. And because I feel so loved, because I know your love, my cup overflows. And your goodness and your mercy are with me all the days of my life. And I shall rest in your home, Lord. I shall rest with you, Lord, as it was in the beginning. In a perfect world, not a fallen one. We rested with you. And we can today again. Help us, Lord, to find our hope, our purpose, our peace in you. Not just for today, not just for this week, but for all the days of our lives. In your name I pray. Amen.